Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and Bloomberg.com. Right now, I want to talk about the big debate that's raging in bond markets. Are we on the precipice of much higher yields in the U.S. bond market, much lower values? Are we going to see this bond route develop and deepen? And to answer this, I want to bring in Chuck Lieberman, Chief Investment Officer and founding member at Advisors Advisors Capital Management LLC. He's also a Bloomberg prophet. He writes for uh, the website uh, Bloomberg View maintains. Chuck, thank you so much for joining us. Right now, I'm looking at longer dated treasuries that have lost more than 3% over the past month. Do you think that this sell-off is going to deepen? Uh, I sure do. Um, The economy is doing pretty well. Uh, The labor market is tight. Um, every measure we have on the labor market indicates that we've got a progressive tightening of the labor market to a level that is tight historically. Um, it looks like uh, the Phillips curve has flattened, which means that uh, we're not paying for that decline in the unemployment rate yet with higher labor costs, at least significantly higher labor costs. But ultimately, I think we will. And so it's imperative that the Fed get interest rates at least back to a neutral level. Uh, Chuck Lieberman, I'm wondering if you could just step back for a second and maybe just uh, opine on the idea that you need to separate all the bad news that is a constant torrent from all of the information necessary to make decent investment decisions. Sure. Well, it really comes down to what determines the value of equities uh, and fixed income. Um, And uh, theoretically, uh, equity valuations are discounted values of future expected earnings. Notice I haven't said anything about politics yet. I haven't said anything about climate. I haven't said anything about a lot of other issues. Correct. You're trying to keep it straightforward and simple. Right. And uh, that's really the issue. Uh, When you look back at the last 30 years, there have been lots of awful things that have happened, and yet the equity market is at an all-time high. How come? It's because the companies have grown, profits have grown, uh, the companies are worth more, and cumulatively, that means the market is worth more and at record highs. Chuck, why is now different? I mean, people have been saying that the economy has been looking better steadily over the past few years. Uh, People have been expecting higher yields for a long time. Now you have an economy globally that's awash with central bank cash. The Bank of Japan and the European central banks are still printing money. What's going to make the, the situation turn so dramatically in the U.S.? Well, I don't know that anything has to change dramatically at all. Uh, I think we're on a trajectory of a pretty stable, uh, almost systematic growth. Uh, and that growth rate, while lower than in the past, is nonetheless more than fast enough to drive unemployment down. And so we've pushed the unemployment rate to a level at which it becomes a problem for labor costs. Uh, When you survey firms or look at how firms uh, feel about the labor market, they're very, very consistent in reporting that it's difficult for them to find the workers they need. Right. But but all of this is sort of uh, sort of flies in the face of the idea that with such high valuations in stock markets, you have investors saying, look, the second that the 10 year Treasury gets to three percent yields, two point eight percent yields, I'm buying because you can't get that kind of reliable yield anywhere. I mean, in other words, fundamentals don't make sense at this point. 
Well, I would say that uh, stocks would even be attractive if, if, if 30-year treasuries or 10-year treasuries, for that matter, were at 3%. Uh, when you can buy uh, U.S. equities, quality equities that have dividend yields of close to 3%, you really don't uh, should not have uh, interest rates as low as they are. Uh, stocks uh, are clearly going to continue to grow over the next decade and at a decent rate, uh, and you're getting that yield on many of those uh, high-quality companies. Uh, something is wrong. Stocks are mispriced compared to bonds. And I'll entertain a number of possibilities. Bonds are badly overvalued. I would accept that proposition. Stocks are somewhat undervalued. Uh, I'm tempted to accept that proposition because when I do dividend discount models, the interest rates that prevail in the market today imply much higher valuations. Uh, we typically ignore those valuations because people would be embarrassed to suggest that the stock market is undervalued. And yet, if you look at interest rates compared to bonds, stocks are cheap. So you can have it any way, which way you want. Uh, bonds are expensive, stocks are cheap, or some combination of the two. Well, Chuck, let's say that you adhere to the idea that it is a market of stocks and not a stock market. What stocks or what kinds of companies should you be invested in? Well, it, I think we still reflect the trauma of 2008. So the stocks that tend to be most expensive are the ones that are typically considered safe or safer. And the ones that are cheapest are the ones that are traditionally considered riskier. So among the ones that I consider cheap are the financials. Uh, the banks are very cheap in my mind. Uh, energy is... When you, hold on. When you say banks, are you talking about big money center banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, as well as uh, maybe City. even Morgan Stanley, Citigroup? Citigroup, absolutely. All of the above. Um, and then the regional banks are also pretty attractive. They're not quite as cheap as the money center banks, maybe because people were burned more in the money centers than they were in the regionals. Uh, but I consider the regionals attractive as well. Um, that's on the in the financial sector. And then in uh, energy, I consider the pipelines very, very cheap. Uh, people got burned because of the drop in oil prices. But, you know, we're, produce, we're, we're almost back to the record high production levels for crude oil in the United States. The pipelines are carrying more. Uh, the expectation is we're going to increase production going forward. Uh, fracking is becoming progressively more efficient, lower cost. Uh, we're going to consume more of this product. Somebody's got to carry it, and yet the stocks are cheap. Well, so here's what I'm struggling with. A lot of people have said that the loose credit conditions has enabled the stock market rise. And if you start to see uh, 10-year treasuries at 30-year, uh, 30, 3% uh, yields and, and above, that's going to increase the borrowing costs of a lot of companies. Won't that hit the stock market? Uh, it, it will to some degree because stocks are not independent of bonds. Uh, the two are integrated. And so if interest rates rise in the, in the bond market, bonds will provide more competition for stocks. But I don't think the stock market is priced at a level that reflects prevailing interest rates. So I think the stock market can handle rising rates surprisingly well unless those rates shoot up a lot more. Thank you so much for joining us. It's truly a pleasure to speak with you. Chuck Lieberman, Chief Investment Officer and Founding Member at Advisors Capital Management, also a Bloomberg prophet who writes for our Bloomberg View uh, website.
Carl, always a pleasure. Um, I noticed that there's a story about uh, the final list, the short list. It has people such as ex-board member Kevin Warsh, uh, Jerome Powell, who is a, a current Fed uh, governor. Uh, tell us who you think is at least in the running and maybe just throw in some wild cards for us to kind of understand maybe the president's thinking. Sure, absolutely. So the uh, the short list is getting shorter uh, as it's uh, being uh, leaked to the press and whatnot. Uh, so we know that uh, we are zeroing in on a decision on a reduced number of candidates and that decision could be coming in the next two to three weeks, uh, maybe sooner. Uh, I think uh, that, uh, you know, there, there's a litmus test being applied to the candidates. And uh, so uh, Donald Trump has uh, said how he he's a low interest rate guy and he wants a low interest rate Fed chair. Uh, and that's all fine and nice. And I think that is an important uh, prerequisite, which does disqualify folks like John Taylor, uh, because pretty much every iteration of the Taylor rule that you look at uh, would uh, point to uh, higher interest rates than where they currently stand. So I think that uh, the hawks are being crossed off the list. And the other part of that litmus test is that uh, he basically uh, wants to be sure that whoever's Fed chair is not going to stand in the way of his economic agenda. And more specifically, that means if he is passing tax reform, which could maybe not be so comprehensive in terms of tax reform, but more of a, a, a sugar high from a tax cut uh, that may not necessarily be revenue neutral, at least in the short term, uh, he does not want a Fed chair to step in front of that economic benefit. So if you're going to raise rates as the president cuts taxes, you're probably not going to be uh, in the Fed chair uh, so seat next year. All this makes me question why Kevin Warsh is even in the running. Well, the uh, the Warsh uh, family has uh, some connections uh, to the president, uh, and uh, he is uh, well liked among Republicans and conservatives. But uh, uh, and he certainly is a bit of a maverick, even though he was a former governor. Uh, he's been highly critical of the Fed. Uh, so in those regards, I think he does appeal uh, to the president's uh, sentiments and instincts. Uh, however, uh, he was very dismissive of the Fed uh, missing on the inflation target uh, earlier this year in an interview with Mike McKee, actually. Uh, and uh, also, he's concerned about fi financial stability risks. So he is someone who also wants rates to be higher. Uh, and that, uh, again, is not consistent with Trump's economic agenda. So Bloomberg's shortlist that we've put out includes uh, Kevin Warsh, also Jenny Yellen, who is the current Fed chair. Also, Jerome Powell, who is a current Fed governor. Um, Neil Kashkari has gotten less attention. And yet uh, Jeffrey Gunlock, the head of Double Line, came out uh, and said that he expects Kashkari to be the likely next Fed chair. Is he wrong? Uh, well, we'll uh, find out soon enough. I think he is uh, potentially on the short list, and he's uh, definitely the dark horse candidate uh, as a bit of an outsider, uh, somewhat critical of the Fed, uh, and uh, certainly uh, dissenting at uh, several meetings uh, over critical the course of the Critical of the Fed the from the exact year. opposite standpoint than Marsh, saying that it's moving Absolutely. too quickly. Absolutely. So he's a low rates guy, and he's saying until we see inflation uh, hitting the Fed's target, we should stop raising rates. Uh, that is uh, music to the ears of the president. I wonder, Carl, does this highlight the contradiction that seems to follow uh, President Donald Trump, which is that his previous statements and many of his previous positions seem more liberal and more uh, dovish uh, in general, whether it is interest rates, whether it is social policy, many uh, topics. That is at divergence to the Republican Party, which he now leads as the de facto president. 
he leads the party, but he is by no means a conventional Republican. And so uh, as he's looking at Fed chairs, uh, that uh, absolutely is the case uh, as well. Uh, don't forget, uh, President Obama chose uh, Janet Yellen for the job. Um, so uh, he is not conventional. I think a conventional Republican, uh, if it were Pence uh, picking the uh, Fed chair, I think Warsh would be very high up on the list. Uh, but uh, because of this focus on uh, really labor economics, right, seeing if you can push that unemployment rate down and improving the, 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 the status of the middle class and the working class, those are democratic initiatives traditionally, uh, and that is uh, a priority of this president. And don't forget, it's a lot of Reagan Democrats right. uh, that crossed over and voted for him in those industrial Midwestern states uh, that uh, he's looking to uh, help out. Although... President Trump himself isn't going through pages of economists and trying to pinpoint the perfect Fed chair. So he is surrounded by some more traditional Republicans who are his advisors on this. Who are they and how much power do they have in selecting the next Fed chair? Well, I think Mnuchin and uh, Cohn uh, have both been uh, influential in this regard. I think that uh, Cohn's chances, uh, because he was originally considered to be on the short list, uh, diminished uh, after the uh, Charlottesville, uh, Virginia uh, violence, and uh, the you know the president wants uh, loyalty uh, in that Fed candidate. So he wants a low interest rates person. He also wants a loyal person. Uh, and I think those are the priorities. So the committee shapes to some degree, but the final say will absolutely be his. And arguably, uh, this will be one of the key uh, moments for a uh, Fed chair to really dictate the direction of policy uh, going forward, considering that the Fed is about to start uh, unwinding its balance sheet. And conceivably, they could speed that process up or slow it down. Uh, Carl Ricadonna, thank you so much for joining us. As always, Carl Ricadonna is chief U.S. economist for Bloomberg Intelligence. We turn our attention now to Argentina. Argentina's benchmark stock index, the Merval, is down about 1.3% today. And that concludes a winning streak of 13 consecutive sessions where the stock market moved higher. And uh, polls show that uh, there are, is a friendly attitude towards Mauricio Macri. Uh, the government is uh, likely to uh, maintain its uh, position in the October legislative uh, decisions. And the Merval Index is up 58% year-to-date. Here to tell us more about Argentina is our own editor-in-chief emeritus for Bloomberg News, Matt Winkler. Thank you for coming in. What decisions has uh, Macri made that would encourage investors. Thank you, Pim. Uh, pleasure to be with you. You know, there are two things that uh, he had to address immediately, and he promised to. One was uh, runaway cost of living, otherwise known as inflation. And the other was the peril of default, uh, the kind of yin and yang of uh, modern times for uh, people living in Argentina and uh, not, as you would expect, um, anything close to a developed economy. And so far, so good. He's almost two years into his presidency, and the uh, inflation rate has collapsed. It's down from a high of about 47% to uh, 20 And if you look at the Bloomberg and look at what economists anticipate over the next year, it's going to get to 11% uh, within 12 months. And even some people are saying single digits 
um, by um, 2019. So that's one thing. And the other thing is the debt market in all, in Argentina is um, outperforming uh, most emerging markets. And um, that's a real turnaround. So those are the two things he's done. They're both big. And he's brought Argentina actually to the forefront of global investors by making it the best performing uh, market in Latin America. And that that uh, wonderful streak that you referred to at the outset here, um, that's the longest winning streak for the stock market since 1988. It's, it's just shocking, really, the rally here, especially considering the vitriolic decade-long battle between creditors and Argentina after its latest default. Uh, it has defaulted numerous times in its sovereign debt. And here you're looking at Argentinian bonds uh, priced in U.S. dollars that have rallied nearly 13 percent so far this year. Matt, can you give us a sense of what President Macri said to you that gave you confidence that they could continue on a, a rather auspicious path? So... There are two things that make him, um, if you will, unique. Um, one is he's the first leader uh, president elected who isn't a Peronist in 100 years, nor is he affiliated with any of the left-wing alternatives. So he's right in the center, and he's a bit of a pragmatist and very practical. He's an engineer by training. So he looks at things uh, very analytically. Um, so that's one thing. The second thing is he said to us, you know, I'm committed to reducing poverty. Now, you wouldn't necessarily expect that from someone who is in the center. And yet he's managed to uh, embrace a very... Um, pluralistic, diverse constituency in Argentina, you know, both people who are well off and people who are the opposite. I think that's what sets him apart. Does he, uh, was there any conversation or does he recognize that there are a lot of rules and regulations about the kinds of investments that made in Argentina and the reciprocity that exists? So, for example, BMW had to export a certain amount that equaled the amount of automobiles they sold. I mean, there are all these wacky rules there. He would... Given his druthers, he would eliminate uh, via many reforms most of the uh, bottlenecks that you've just identified that prevent the economy from performing as it should. And he's committed to doing so. But he recognizes, and he says as much uh, when we speak with him, that it can't happen overnight. And he has to essentially bring people with him. And he can't do anything that would be considered too abrupt uh, because he would lose the opportunity to do the big stuff. So he's got to focus uh, on a kind of gradualistic approach uh, to reform. I was struck by an article on the Bloomberg earlier this month where, or actually it was last year, but Lawrence Fink, uh, the head of BlackRock, was talking about meeting with President McCree uh, and that this convinced BlackRock to be long-term investors in the nation. And this struck me uh, as particularly interesting that uh, McCree was aligning himself with Wall Street even after what happened. How uh, important is that to his success? Very, because, you know, Larry Fink is... uh running, if you will, the largest money management concern. Um, and Argentina needs global investors um, 
because so much of its financing is done through the liquidity that comes out of the global market. So as long as the global market is uh, poised to do what Argentina needs, that's good for Argentina. It does not have at the moment anything like the financial system domestically that would enable it to do uh, what it needs to do. So global investors are all important, and having Larry Fink um, uh, cheering you on is a good thing. Uh, the government uh, budget deficits, did he speak uh, at all about trying to rein in the, the government spending? So his priority is is to reduce what is known as the fiscal deficit. Um, and he is uh, very public about that that it's an essential part of uh, getting Argentina to be um, economically uh, and sustainably prosperous. How popular is he at this point? Popular enough. Uh, he, you know, he's not charismatic in the traditional uh, Peronist Argentina politician. Uh, however, uh, having been through, if you will, uh, so many disappointments, the people of Argentina are prepared to accept somebody who's a little bit less charismatic and more pragmatic. And that's how he has managed to be credible uh, even after uh, almost two years in office, where he has essentially said, uh, I'm translating a bit, um, you know, no gain without pain. Well, I just, I, well, I'm just struck by the idea that in emerging markets, we're seeing uh, the moderates taking a more prominent role, whereas uh, in developed nations, you're seeing uh, populists taking okay. a bigger role. You know, you can't make this up, um, that among the top leaders in terms of respect and credibility in the world today, this man, uh, Macri, is right at the top. I mean, and if if any of us thought about it uh, just 15 months ago, we would have said that's that's impossible. So, um, you know, this is a big surprise. Matt Winkler, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure to have you, Matt Winkler, editor in chief emeritus of Bloomberg News. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio.